Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Hello and welcome to A History of Europe Key Battles podcast. This is the second and final part on the Seven Years' War. In August 1756, King Frederick II, the Great of Prussia, preempted an Austro-Russian offensive planned next year with an invasion of Saxony and the capture of its capital, Dresden. Vienna was able to cast Frederick in the role as a brutal aggressor and had few problems bringing France into a continental conflict. At the same time, the British and French went to war. Their disagreements were primarily concerned with their overseas colonies and trading interests in the Caribbean, India and most of all North America but the British were also concerned about French attacks on the Electorate of Hanover in northern Germany, whose ruler was also King of England, George II. In the Second Treaty of Versailles of May 1757, King Louis XV of France agreed to field a 100,000-strong army in Germany. Vienna hoped this army would be an auxiliary force, under their direction and aimed against Prussia. But instead, the French acted independently. They occupied Frederick's far western provinces by the Rhine and attacked Hanover, thereby also threatening Prussia's western flank. At the same time, Sweden launched an invasion into Pomerania, where it hoped to regain territory lost to Prussia at the end of the Great Northern War in 1720. Britain had been surprised by the Prussian offensive into Saxony, but nevertheless agreed to ship supplies and substantial funds to its new ally. A combined force of allied German states was organised by the British to protect Hanover from French invasion, under the command of the Duke of Cumberland, youngest son of the King. The Duke is now most famous for putting down earlier a Jacobite rebellion at the Battle of Culloden in Scotland, and the brutal repression of the Scottish rebels in the battle's aftermath, by which he earned the nickname of the Butcher. The British attempted to persuade the Dutch Republic to join the alliance, but the request was rejected, as the Dutch insisted on remaining neutral. After capturing most of Saxony, Frederick and the main Prussian army pressed on into northern Bohemia, looking to engage the Austrian army before it could join forces with the main Saxon army. The two sides met at the Battle of Lobositz on the 1st of October. The engagement ended inconclusively, with the Austrians inflicting significant losses on the Prussians and then retreating in good order. The end result, strategically, was a draw. Frederick had succeeded in preventing the Austrians from reinforcing the Saxons, 
but the Austrians had stopped Frederick's advance into Bohemia. Turning back to the north, the Prussians then fully occupied Saxony. The Saxon forces were surrounded and surrendered, after which its men were forcibly incorporated into the Prussian army under Prussian officers. Saxony's treasury was emptied and its currency debased to help fund the Prussian war effort. Overall, they supplied about 40% of the cost of the Prussian war campaign. The elector of Saxony was permitted to withdraw to his Polish territories, where he remained until the end of the war. Over winter, each of the belligerents worked to coordinate strategy with their allies. In February, William Pitt, the new leader of the House of Commons, and a determined foe of France, persuaded the British Parliament to firmly and finally commit to the Prussian cause against Austria and France, after which Britain began delivering supplies and badly needed subsidies to Berlin. They provided overall about a fifth of Prussian war expenditure. In the House of Commons, William Pitt also proposed to establish a so-called Army of Observation for the defence of Hanover against the coming French invasion from the west. In April, Frederick II again took the initiative by marching into the Kingdom of Bohemia, hoping to inflict a decisive defeat on Austrian forces. After winning the Battle of Prague on the 6th of May 1757, in which both forces suffered heavy casualties, the Prussians forced the Austrians back into the fortifications of Prague. The Prussian army then laid siege to the city. An Austrian relief force met the Prussians and defeated Frederick's army at the Battle of Collin. Frederick was forced to lift the siege and to withdraw from Bohemia altogether. Already it was clear that both Prussia and Austria were significantly stronger after the military reforms they had each implemented in the previous years. However, the net effect so far was for their armies to cancel each other out. Meanwhile, the British Army of Observation arrived on the continent to counter the French offensive against Hanover. The Duke of Cumberland acted hesitantly and at first did little to halt the French advance. After some indecision, he chose to make a stand on some high ground by the village of Hastenbeck, near Hamelin on the River Weser. His force, though outgunned and outnumbered, was in a strong defensive position. Initial French assaults were successful but bloody, and some key positions were retaken by the defenders. In spite of the high French casualties, Cumberland decided he could not resist the pressure much longer, and began a retreat to the north. The French pushed onwards and quickly captured key towns in Hanover, such as Verden, Brunswick and Bremen, as well as the city of Hanover, and forced Cumberland to surrender at the Convention of Klosterzeven. The Convention removed Hanover from the war, leaving the western approach to Prussian territory extremely vulnerable. Frederick's an urgent request to Britain for more substantial assistance, as he was now without any outside military support for his forces in Germany. British efforts were not helped at the time by chaos in Westminster, due to the competing ambitions of various ministers, the Duke of Newcastle, William Pitt and Henry Fox. 
The war exacerbated long-standing divisions between the members of the Whig Party, who continued to favour a strategy based on military and diplomatic engagement in Europe, and the Tories, who wanted to abandon what they saw as continental entanglements and concentrate on their rivalry with France in the colonies and at sea. No stable government could be found until the end of June, when a joint Pitt-Newcastle coalition took power, which finally gave firmer direction to the war effort. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Life is full of awesome what ifs and some not so much, like unexpected medical costs. That's why United Healthcare provides Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans to supplement your primary plan and help manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. At about the same time as these events were unfolding, the Russians launched an invasion into East Prussia on the Baltic coast. They besieged the port of Memel, today Klaipeda, in Lithuania. After only five days of heavy bombardment, they stormed and captured the fortress. The Russians then used Memel as a base to invade East Prussia and defeated a smaller Prussian force in the firstly contested Battle of Gross Jägersdorf on the 30th of August, 1757. Frederick was impressed by the fighting capabilities of the Russians, who had also spent peacetime significantly improving their military. However, they were not yet able to take the capital of East Prussia, Königsberg, due to logistical and supply problems. Frederick was under attack from all sides and in a desperate struggle for survival. The Austrians were mobilising to attack Prussia from the south, and a combined French and Imperial army approached from the west. Frederick felt his only chance was to prevent the French and Austrians uniting their armies, so he hurried west to meet the former. After leaving 30,000 troops in Saxony and Silesia to hold the Austrian advance, he had just 21,000 men at his disposal against the French. Anxious for battle, he took up position near the town of Rosbach, a short distance from the French camp. Here the Prussians found themselves outnumbered two to one when battle commenced on the 5th of November 1757. The French Imperial Cavalry wheeled around the Prussian position, hoping to outflank them on the left, but Frederick redeployed his forces with impressive speed, dispatching his own cavalry to sweep away the Allied regiments of horse, making good use of the hilly terrain to disguise his movements. The momentum of the Prussian attack penetrated the Allied lines and wrought havoc. The Allied reserve artillery was rendered useless as it became caught in the middle of the infantry columns and could not be deployed to support any of the endangered Allied troops. 
as each side's infantry met, the Prussians used their artillery to good effect, shredding the Allied columns whose leading ranks faltered. Then seemingly out of nowhere, the Prussian cavalry launched a devastating flanking attack, causing havoc and despair among the already demoralised Imperial units. Three regiments of Imperial troops threw aside their muskets and ran, and the French ran with them. The Prussians pursued and cut down the fleeing allies until darkness made the chase impossible. The battle had lasted less than 90 minutes, and the last episode of the infantry fight no more than 15 minutes. Most of the French infantry never even got the chance to fire their weapons. Prussian casualties amounted to some 600, of whom 165 were killed. Her opponent's losses comprised 700 dead, 2,000 wounded and 5,000 prisoners of war, including five generals and 300 officers. Christopher Clark, in his book Iron Kingdom, The Rise and Downfall of Prussia, writes that the Battle of Rosbach was Frederick's most impressive victory, of which there were several. His success there marked a turning point in the Seven Years' War, not only for its stunning Prussian victory on the battlefield, but because France thereafter refused to send troops against Prussia. Also, noting Prussia's military success, Britain increased its financial support to Frederick and repudiated the convention of Klosterzeven. Following the battle, Frederick immediately left Rusbach and marched for 13 days to the outskirts of Breslau. There he met the Austrian army at the Battle of Leuthen. Again, the Prussians were outnumbered by the Austrians nearly two to one. There, a Prussian feint attack gave the impression of a frontal approach, while the mass of Prussian infantry swept around to the south to descend on the Austrian left flank. This was a classic example of a so-called oblique attack, which Frederick used to such great effect. Instead of approaching in parallel to the enemy lines, Frederick tried, where possible, to twist his attacking lines so that one end, often reinforced by cavalry, cut into the enemy position before the other. It was a manoeuvre that required exceptionally skilled and disciplined infantry. Frederick missed an opportunity to completely destroy the Austrian army at Leuthen. Although depleted, it escaped back into Bohemia. He hoped the two decisive victories at Rusbach and Leuthen would bring Maria Theresa to the peace table, but she was determined not to negotiate until she had retaken Silesia. Austrian tactics did, however, change to become more cautious, attempting to exhaust Prussia's resources rather than defeating Frederick outright. The main burden of the campaigns of 1758 and 1759 was borne by the Russians, who inflicted several reversals on Frederick, including, notably, the battles of Zondorf in August 1758. The Battle of Zondorf was arguably the most significant battle of the war, writes Dennis Showalter in his book The Wars of Frederick the Great, because it marked a milestone in Russia's rise. Quote, the Russians had become permanent, direct participants in the struggle for power over Central Europe. They had shown they were an enemy not to be despised in battle. They had fought the best army in Europe to a bloody draw. Unquote. 
A year later, the Russians inflicted a heavy defeat on the Prussians at Kunersdorf, near the city of Frankfurt on the Oder. However, they never followed this up, in part because of the failure of the Austrians to provide military assistance when this was most needed. As French resolution continued to weaken, Austria was increasingly forced to depend upon her Russian ally. However, Vienna and St. Petersburg had different priorities. The Austrians were concerned about any strengthening of Russian power in Central Europe, in particular her designs on East Prussia. Frederick had a remarkable ability to stay calm under pressure and at times of crisis. This was evident at the Battle of Hochkirk in Saxony. In October 1758, an Austrian army of 80,000 surprised the Prussian army of some 30 to 36,000, commanded by Frederick. The Austrian army overwhelmed the Prussians and forced a general retreat. The king was drenched in the blood of his horse, which had been hit under him by a musket ball. Here he commanded and oversaw a calm and effective withdrawal under fire to a safe defensive position, and thereby prevented the Austrians from driving home their advantage. Frederick, still under great pressure, was able to struggle on. Yet his resources were reduced each year, and his task of preventing the Austrians and Russians became more difficult with each campaign. By the end of 1759, a military stalemate had emerged, and Frederick won further battles, as in the second half of 1760, when he retrieved an apparently lost position by defeating the Austrians, first at Leignitz in August, and then at Torgau in November. Meanwhile, the British under William Pitt invested heavily in both the continental and overseas theatres, and achieved a string of successes. They captured the French sugar island of Guadalupe in July 1759. In August, worsted the French at the Battle of Minden in Westphalia. In the same month, defeated the French in the Battle of Lagos, a little northwest of the Strait of Gibraltar. And in September, captured Quebec in Canada. The French reduced their commitments in Germany in order to concentrate on fighting the British overseas, but were unable to turn the tide and lost Montreal soon as well. Spain finally came into the war on the French side in 1762 with the accession of a new king, Charles III, who determined to reverse the Pacific policies of his predecessor and to take the fight to Britain. The result was another series of disastrous defeats. British forces swiftly captured Manila and Havana from the Spanish, and a series of West Indian islands from the French, including Martinique, Dominica, St. Lucia, St. Vincent and Tobago. The British also began to secure their dominance over India, with victories over the French at the battles of Plassey and Wandiwash. Back on the continent of Europe in the year 1761, it was the same pattern of marches and countermarches, with the Allies never quite managing to make their numerical superiority tell. Frederick's ability to keep recovering from defeats and continuing to inflict new blows on his enemies was not enough to win the war on its own, but it was enough to save Prussia from defeat for as long as it took the Allied coalition to exhaust themselves or to fall apart. Once it became known that the Tsarina of Russia, Elizabeth, was terminally ill, 
Russia's days and the coalition were numbered. She passed away in February 1762 and was succeeded by her Prusophile son, who was crowned Peter III. Peter abandoned his Austrian and French allies in May and June 1762 and even made a treaty with Frederick, who must have scarcely believed his luck. Peter was deposed and murdered in July, however, and succeeded by his wife Catherine. She repudiated the treaty with Prussia, but signalled her intention to cease hostilities. Impetus towards peace was also given by the accession of a new king in England, George III. He and his favourite minister, Lord Bute, were intent on courting popularity by giving the nation the peace it desired, and on banking their colonial gains. And so, in 1763, the war in Germany was concluded with the Treaty of Hubertusberg, whereby Prussia retained Silesia. Frederick's survival in the face of such overwhelming odds was a major achievement, and the avoidance of any territorial losses even more remarkable. The result was a terrible disappointment for Maria Theresa of Austria, who had set her heart on avenging the loss of Silesia at the beginning of her reign, and had poured a huge amount of resources to try and achieve it. The Anglo-French colonial war was concluded with the Treaty of Paris in 1763. This ended French colonisation in North America with the cession of Canada, except for two small islands, Saint-Pierre and Miquelon. And her position in India was destroyed. Only in the West Indies did the French avoid substantial territorial losses by recovering their principal sugar islands. They transferred to Spain the remaining North American territory, Louisiana, an area many times larger than the present-day state of the same name. Britain also regained the Mediterranean island of Menorca, which she had lost to France at the beginning of the war. There was much soul-searching among the French, whose national pride was both wounded and aroused by having been eclipsed by the British. And there was much more open criticism of the monarchy's role. But there was disagreement about the way forward. Some argued that France should pursue no more than a holding strategy in Europe, and instead focus her resources on the navy. Others claimed that the whole basis of French strategy had been wrong, and that Austria, rather than Britain, remained the principal enemy. Either way, the main outcome of the Seven Years' War was that it decisively established Britain's maritime and colonial supremacy, and it had done so at the expense of France. There followed a period of relative peace and of constructive rebuilding in Western Europe for the next 26 years, until a certain revolution, which started in Paris in 1789, would end up returning a continent once more to war. It's always great to hear from you, either on the Facebook page, Twitter at History Europe KB, KB for Key Battles, or you can write to me directly, Carl, that's C-A-R-L, at historyeurope.net. If you'd like to support this podcast, you can do so at patreon.com slash historyeurope, where you can sign up for $3 a month to gain some extra material. 
I hope you can join me next week when we'll be talking about the Russo-Turkish War of 1768-74, when Catherine the Great was the Empress of Russia and the annexation of Crimea occurred. Today you've been listening to the music of the composer Joseph Haydn, and I'll leave you with his piano sonata in F major, the second movement, Adagio. I hope you enjoy, and can join me next time. Bye-bye. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.